0: Amen, amen, and I, you know, our, that's our prayer today. That's our prayer of our hearts every Sunday, In and I just pray the reality. We have a Savior with a beautiful name, amen. And I pray today that we would each see the greatness of our God, that we would have a weave today with a higher vision of who He is and experience His glory. Um, in a more profound way than we ever have before. And we're so thankful for that. And so thankful for all that God is doing um, in and through our midst. And so um, this morning, uh, we're going to be in John 17, and we're going to conclude this portion of this sermon series in John 17, if you want to get a head start. My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here at Harvest. And we, if you are here for the first time, or if you've been here many times, if you're joining us in person or online, you're family. And I'm just so thankful that you are here. We have many, many first-time guests here this morning. And so I just want to say welcome. And and I pray that this, Waltz might be your first time, that it won't be the last time. And if this is your first time here, we would love to know how to pray for you, support you, walk with you. There is a card in the seat back in front of you. We'd be privileged if you wouldn't mind filling that out and dropping it back in the box in the back on your way out so we can best connect with you and continue to follow up and, and just pray for you and walk with you today. And we love to worship here at Harvest. We love to worship through singing. We love to worship through God's word. We also love to worship through giving. And we're um, so thankful for your faithfulness. And there's no greater week than to celebrate giving. Then this week, amen, because this is a week that we celebrate God's great gift to us as God spared no expense, and he gave his son Jesus Christ for us, and we have a privilege of giving back just a portion of what he's given to us, and so if you go harvest your home, we'd love for you to give faithfully, uh, financially, to support the work that God's doing here. If this is your first time here, please don't feel obligated to give, um, um, but just your presence here is a gift to us, but there's an opportunity to give online in the back or you can text to give, and we are excited to celebrate Holy Week. Welcome to Holy Week, amen. This is Palm Sunday, and, and we are excited to prepare our hearts to celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us and the victory that God provided for us, both on Good Friday and Easter. A couple of exciting things, as Carrie said earlier, but uh, if you had, didn't get the opportunity here, before we get to the celebration of Easter Sunday, we want to remember the sacrifice and the price, the price that was paid for us on Good Friday. And so we have put together, and so thankful for Bryce and his partnership in that, a video, about a half an hour worth of devotional uh, video that's going to have communion, lead us all through communion. It's going to be available at 4, 6, and 8 p.m. on Friday on our live stream on Facebook. Facebook, um, or you can watch it back at your convenience. And so we would love for you and, and your family or your small group or whomever, just to spend some time preparing your hearts and, and to celebrate our risen King. Um, and then Saturday, uh, we actually, are. Heart- here at Harvest is to impact this community and this world with the love of Jesus Christ. And we want to, we are blessed to be a blessing, and part of that vision that we have is to take this 10 acres that God has given us and use it to bless the community. So we actually have somebody from the community that reached out and wants to host a, an egg hunt for our families and friends with 3,000 eggs. And so we said, sure. And they said, you're invited. I said, okay. Um, and so if you have three to five this Saturday here, if you have food, fun, family, friends, if you want to come with your kids, bring them. There are 3,000 eggs. Um, the community's going to be here, um, just an opportunity to gather. And so if you want to come to that, we would love for you to support that. And then Sunday uh, is Easter. And in your car, and your seat in front of you, you'll see an invite card um, and again, if this is your first time here, we'd love to worship with you again next week or any week, your family here. And, um, but I want to really want to challenge you and encourage you. Um, we've said, who's your one? Who's the person that God has put on your heart to invite uh, to celebrate Easter with us? And so who is your one? And I want to challenge you and encourage you to invite people to celebrate Easter next week. We really believe that God is at work. We really believe that God saves people. We're going to see that at the end of today, the just the message today as we celebrate baptism. It's real. And, um, and we believe that God's going to change lives. And so we would pray for you that you would prayerfully invite people to join us and celebrate with us. And so um, anybody and everybody's welcome. Come as you are. Just come as you are, because that, God meets us where we are, amen? That's who we are. All are welcome, welcome without judgment, love without condition, and God forgives us without limit. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you to be inviting your neighbors, your family, your friends this week, your coworkers, and watch God work. So we're going to be in John 17 today, and, and the title of this message is Got Hope. And the question that I have for us today is this. As you think about this reality, if, if you were to name what is the number one desire on your heart right now, and, and it can be anything. There's no judgment here at all and there's no wrong answers here at all but like if you want to I, we love it when you interact and so we just say at the just shout out or say out like what's the de- top desire in your heart right now and it could be anything from hey I would love to get a promotion or hey I would love for the Orioles to actually win a game good luck with that um you know hey uh, whatever like what's a, what's the a top desire in your heart right now anybody got anything sure. Meh. yeah there we go baby. healthy baby awesome yeah, and there's and, and there's lots of different things popping in and out of our minds, and if you were to ask my kids half of them would say, a Nintendo Switch, right? If you would have asked me when I was a teenager, I would have said, my top desire is to be able to dunk a basketball. Well, that never happened. Um, But I will tell you this, I did get a t-shirt that said, I'll start dunking when it's worth three points. And so, um, you'll get that later. But but the reality is, is we all have desires on our heart and that often impacts how we pray and what we pray for. And maybe it's a relationship that you're praying for. Some people just talked about that. Maybe it's a, a, a part of your family. Maybe it's about a job situation. Maybe it's about a college decision. Maybe Maybe it's about a process you're walking through right now and that's really difficult or, or dealing with an issue of the past or an uncertainty of the future. Now, my question for you is if you actually got what you were praying for, how confident would you be that it would change your future? Would it actually change anything for you? Would it actually give you the hope that you're actually looking for? You know, we are all wired for peace, to seek peace. We are all wired to desire hope and The reality is, is that nothing outside of Jesus Christ gives you the hope that you are all, that we are all looking for today. Uh, Solomon Ecclesiastes teaches us the reality that God has set eternity on the hearts of men. We all have a God-shaped hole in the size of our heart. You can get the promotion, but you can still be miserable because we all serve the God of a little bit more with our flesh. I got the, I got, I I got a $10,000 raise. Why wasn't it 11,000? I got this. Why can't I have another one of that? I got an A on this test, but I'm already stressed out about the next test, right? I don't even get to enjoy winning the game. You win the Super Bowl, the coaches are like, I'm going to enjoy it for like an hour, and then I'm planning for next season. Man, what a stress-filled way to live life, right? The desires that fill us, however, drive us. Your desires drive you, whether you realize it or not. The question for you is if you get your desire, will it truly delight you or will it destroy you? What you desire, you're willing to sacrifice for. You want the promotion. You want to make partner of the law firm. You will put in the hours, and then what? You'll give for. You'll spend for. You'll work for. How's that working out for you? Today, as we conclude our time in Jesus' high priestly prayer, we're going to see the desire on Jesus' heart. He's going to spell it out literally. We're gonna see clearly what he desires for. You know what Jesus desires? He desires to spend eternity with you and with me. That's his prayer. How amazing is that? That the God of the universe, the creator of the world, and Jesus helped create the world, the one who saved the world, wants to live with you forever. The world might reject you. The prom date might say no to you, but Jesus chooses you and he died for you and he wants to live forever with you. That's mind-blowing to me. Isn't that awesome? What a hope we have in Jesus. Jesus doesn't just want to cleanse our hearts from sin, but he wants to fill our hearts with hope. Anybody need hope today? I need hope. Hope today is not anchored in our circumstances, good or bad, Hope is anchored in the unchanging character of Jesus Christ and the finished work that he did on the cross. Hope is not in the avoidance or the absence of earthly difficulty or hostility, but we have hope as we choose to continually gaze upon God's glory and walk with Jesus in victory that he purchased for us on Calvary. Hope is not in everyone on this earth liking us. Hope is anchored in God's unshakable and unconditional love for us. We're going to see that all from the text today. Where's your hope today, friends? I don't know how you walked in here with, but where's your hope at? What's your hope meter at? Your hope meter is honestly driven by what you're actually anchoring and What is the source of your hope? It's going to rise and fall on how my work situation is. Now, I've been there. I am there sometimes. Let's call a spade a spade. I'm going to rise and fall on whether I get this or get that. Earthly hope is often predicated on a desire for something good in the future or obtaining it. Earthly hope is also, you know, we say, I hope that my team wins a game. I hope I get into this college. I hope there's no traffic on the road. Good luck with that in the D.C. Beltway area, right? That's earthly hope. Earthly hope is often based on an unknown future outcome. Eternal hope, biblical hope, is based on a certain and known future outcome. Isn't that awesome? Here's a definition for biblical hope, a working definition that I hope can anchor us here today. You'll see it on the notes on the screen. It's my, a biblical hope is my confident expectation for the future based on the revealed character of God, the promises of God, the power and the faithfulness and the actions of God. My confidence in the future, my confident expectation is not anchored in whether this thing or will or won't happen. It's not anchored in what the world will do or what happens in Ukraine or Russia or what this or what that. It's anchored in what I know my God will do. My hope is not anchored in the how, H-O-W. It's anchored in the who, W-H-O. I don't know how God's gonna do it. I just know he's gonna do it. And maybe we need to adjust those letters in our life. For far too long, we've been placing our hope on the how and you've been miserable. Today, I want you to challenge you to place your hope on the who, W-H-O, God. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know where you walked in here with, but I know that hope is available for you. The Bible is about hope from cover to cover. So much so that, that God says this. He says it through his prophet Isaiah. He says it to a people that are, have been, uh, due to a consequence of their sin, led off into biblical in captivity in a foreign land. He writes this in Isaiah 40, 28, 31. Do you not Do you not know, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? Isn't that awesome? He will, he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Anybody tired this morning? Feeling weak? I am. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Basically, the, he's saying everybody gets tired. But what he's about to pivot to is a reality that our strength is in our weakness and admitting that and owning that and turning to God in that. But those who hope in the Lord... And that's our choice that we need to make today. Will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not weary. Walk and not be faint. Isn't that awesome? That's the promise of God. But those who hope—it's a choice. Hope is available to you. The question is, will you choose it today? Our whole sermon series has been called Power for the Powerless. You might feel powerless based on the circumstances around us. Can I tell you that that is a lie from Satan? You are not powerless. You are powerful through the name of Jesus Christ. That the world cannot take peace, cannot take hope away from you unless you let it. You have a choice to make because our hope is not anchored in circumstances, and maybe you've been anchoring your hope in circumstances for far too long. Our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus, and we're gonna see that today. So you can move from powerless to powerful, because Jesus is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. He is the alpha, he is the omega, he is the beginning and the end. Here's a big idea for today, you'll see it in your notes and on the screen, that God's love for me gives me hope for all of eternity. Today, tomorrow, literally forever, hope is available for you today, as you, see, as you put your heart and anchor your hope in the word of the Lord and the love of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is one of my favorite days today that we get to celebrate transformation of the gospel. You change everything. You've done it before and I pray that you would do it again and I just pray that you would silence my words and that you would flow. I, I, we all need hope right now and that means we all need you, God. God, I pray that in this moment that we would eliminate distractions and Holy Spirit that you would speak, that you would do what you promised to do, that you would guide us into the ever-changing, ever-life-changing, ever but never-changing itself truth of your word, God. That you would lead us and that you would guide us, God, and that you would fill us again. Convict us and compel us, encourage us, exhort us, God. Help us to leave more and more like you. Maybe entering into a relationship with you for the first time or coming back to you again. There's always room in your arms, God, for us to come home. God, fill us with hope. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to John 17. John 17. We're going to conclude Jesus' high, sweet, sweet prayer. And if you're unfamiliar with this, he is praying. He's praying hours, mere hours. We're going to celebrate it this week, mere hours. If you would, this is Thursday night of Holy Week. They, they celebrate the Last Supper on Thursday night, and just mere hours later, Jesus goes into a garden. He's arrested in the early hours of Friday. He is convicted falsely. He is beaten, mocked, scorned, and then later early in the morning, he is hung on a cross on Friday for you and for me mere hours before that. He has just told the disciples a myriad of things. They have watched Judas leave, and they have been told that Jesus is going to leave them, and the world's going to hate them. And can you imagine the heartache? Can you imagine the hurt that they're feeling? And into that, Jesus now gives hope. And he's going to give that same hope into your heart right now, the hurting, the heartache and we live in a that you are probably carrying right now because we live in a fallen and broken world he provides unshakable hope and he does it this way John 17 these is Jesus praying beginning in verse 23 through 26 Jesus prays this I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me in them what a prayer Today, we're going to look at three choices that we choose today that produce hope daily. No matter what you face at work tomorrow, when you make these choices, you can have hope. No matter what relational strife you walk into this afternoon at home, what phone call you get on Wednesday, what flat tire or what calamity happens to you on Friday, you can have hope when you choose to center your heart on these choices. The first is this. My hope comes as I choose to believe that I choose to believe that Jesus actually desires to be with me for all of eternity. Jesus' longest prayer is coming to a close and it's amazing to think that he's praying in the presence of the original disciples, but he's praying for you and I. We saw that last week as Pastor Andrew uh, just uh, graciously and did such a great job leading us through this. He said, Jesus prays in verse 20, I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. Jesus loves you so much, he's praying for you and I right now and themes of eternity and glory, eternal security, unity, reverberate and pulsate powerfully through these entire 26 verses of Jesus' prayer. It's a cry of Jesus' heart and now in verse twenty-three, Jesus claims this. He proclaims this re- beautiful reality that I pray that you would take to the bank, that you would hold in your heart, that you would anchor your hope, that I and them and you and me that they may be perfectly one. He's talking about you and I, the unity. Pastor Andrew talked about that last week. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus is telling you and I that God loves you and I in the same exact way that He loves Jesus, His own Son. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. And that basis then propels the rest of the text, which is why our, our big idea today is that. Is that God's love for me, we see that in verse 23, that God loves us just as he loves Jesus. and now gives me hope for all of eternity. So on the basis of God's love for me that we see really spelled out in verse 23, we're now gonna springboard into the final three verses to see that Jesus loves us too, and he wants to spend eternity for us. Jesus claims the reality that God, the Father loves you and I in the same exact way. And you look at verse 24 now, he goes, Father, I desire, okay, I'm on the edge of my seat. What is Jesus, what's on the top of Jesus' prayer list, right? What does he want? Because you know the stuff you really want, that's what you pray for first, Right? All right, here we go. Father, I desire that they also be you and me, whom you have given me, may, may do what? May be with me where I am. Wow. Jesus wants, literally, to spend eternity with you and me, so much so that he's praying and saying, God, this is my desire, that I want those that you have given me, those that you, have, that you have, before the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, chosen to come into my family, I want to spend eternity with them. That's awesome. And who is that them? It's everyone who chooses to put their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Is that you this morning? And I pray if that's not you, if that you would make that choice today. Would you look at your neighbor right now and say, Jesus is talking to you. Like he literally wants to, and now tell him again, he wants to spend eternity with you. Tell him that. And then that, that gets my heart going. I don't know about you, right? I get excited about that. I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, but I know what's gonna happen in eternity. I get to speak with my savior. That's awesome. And no one can take that away from me. No one and nothing. I mean, I get on my own nerves sometimes. I can't even imagine wanting to spend forever with me. Uh, Yeah, my wife is a very gracious woman. (laughs) But he wants us to spend eternity with him in this place called heaven, where there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more fear, no more death, in a place where we get to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty with people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation for all of eternity. We get to echo holy for all of eternity. Next to Moses, next to David, next to Peter, Paul, and Mary. Not that group. That's awesome. I want today, my prayer, and I believe God's heart is to elevate your view on who he is. He wants you to see his glory and his greatness for what it is. And the reality that he wants to spend eternity with you. Jesus chooses to save us. He chose to came for us. He chose to pay the price to die for us because he desires you. He desires an eternal relationship to spend eternity with you. That's hope-giving for me. When I have really hard days, when I get rejected, I know I am also still accepted by God. Isn't that amazing? When I, some people tell me I don't want you, Jesus says I do want you. Not just on this day, but for every day. So how can I be certain of my eternity? Part of this whole prayer is eternal security. How can the theme of it, how can I be certain of my eternity? Here are some four aspects that give us certainty of our eternity, and I pray that you would evaluate them today in your own heart and life. My certainty of eternity fills my heart with hope and security and empowers me to live joyfully. The first aspect of my certainty of eternity is this, that I can have certainty of my eternity through the promises that Jesus proclaims. Earlier in this upper room discourse, earlier in this time together, Jesus says in John 14, that I'm going away from you. Believe in me. Believe also in my Father, that I am going, but where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back for you. But that theme in John 14, he says, believe in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You have to choose to believe. It's a choice. I can't make it for you. Your friends can't make it for you. Russell's going to get baptized later, but he can't make it for you. He had to make it for him. Will you choose to believe today the promises that Jesus proclaimed? The second aspect of my certainty of eternity comes through this. It comes through the path Jesus paved. Later in John 14, he says, Jesus says, "I I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me, but through me. The path that Jesus is going to pave on the cross, no one else can get to eternity but through Jesus. There's no other way. His disciples are like, how do we know where you're going? And he's like, I am the way to where you are going. You don't get there by good works. You don't get there by giving money. You don't get there by just, uh, just information about religion. You don't get there by living a good life. You only get there through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and choosing to believe in him as your, and confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Is that you this morning? The third aspect of my certainty of my eternity is through the prayer Jesus prayed, this very prayer he's praying right now. I can be confident in my certainty for eternity because in this whole prayer, and highlighted here in verse 24, that he wants to spend forever with me. And he talks about other aspects that we've talked about in previous weeks throughout this prayer of, of how he is securing us and how he is keeping us. And it's the power of God that's awesome. The fourth aspect of my certainty of eternity is this that through the price Jesus paid for me, you and I th- have a sin debt that we can't pay. When we commit one sin, and I hate to break it to you, we're all sinners here. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. And we can't pay that price. It requires a perfect sacrifice, but God sent Jesus. In First Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10, Paul writes this, "'For God has, no, has not destined us for wrath, "'but to obtain salvation, how?' "'Through our Lord Jesus Christ.'" who died for us so that whether we are awake or are asleep, we might live with him. Catch that, whether we are awake, whether we're living here on earth or asleep. Asleep is a direct uh, metaphor for death. Whether you are alive today or dead today in the world, you have hope because we get to live forever with Jesus. If you're either with Jesus in eternity or you're here on earth, Matthew 28 teaches us the reality. Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Every moment, every breath you take, every step you walk, Jesus is with you here on earth. Isn't that awesome? He paid that price for you and I. Have you given your life to him? Have you submitted your life to him? Are you trust, Are you choosing to believe in him? And if not, why not? Seriously, why not? Tomorrow is not guaranteed. I talked to someone not that long ago that said, you know, a close relative of mine almost lost their life this past week. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. I woke up to news that a former quarterback of my favorite team died yesterday tragically at the age of 24. Unexpectedly, got hit by a dump truck in Florida, literally. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, choose today. And it's the greatest decision you could ever make and it will give you hope for all of eternity. Stop trying to put your hope in the stock market or a job or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a kid. They're all not bad things, but look at the greatest thing, the one that will never leave you, never disappoint you, Jesus Christ. Choose to believe that Jesus desires to be with you for all of eternity. Our hope is not just through the presence of Jesus, but through fixing our gaze on the glory of Jesus. Because remember, God's love for me gives me hope for all eternity. The second choice we are called to make today that will produce hope today, tomorrow, and forever is this choose to see. Choose to see. Choose to believe first. Choose to see. What am I seeing? I'm seeing God's glory. Today, I want to challenge you to lift your eyes up off your problems and on to the glory of God. Choose to see, to fix my eyes on the glory of continually. Jesus continues in his prayer in verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that also that you, those whom you have given me may be with me where I am. He's in heaven. He's going to heaven. He wants you to be with heaven. But look, look what we're going to do in heaven. To see my glory, the text says, that you have given me. That you love me before the foundation of the world. This is awesome. He wants us to see his glory. Now, we've already seen in this text, earlier. we're not gonna spend a, time, a lot of time on it right now, but what we do know about Jesus is he so loved you so much that he desires you so much. He knew he was the only way that you could have eternity because we needed his righteousness. We needed him to pay the price that we couldn't pay. That he left a place He didn't that he loved in heaven. Philippians 2 spells this out. He came to earth He took on humanity. He kept full divinity, but he also gave up a little bit of his glory while he's here on earth. And we know from verse five of this prayer in John 17 that he says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. God is gonna bring him back the full glory as he ascends up into heaven. And Jesus wants us to be forever with him in heaven and see his glory forever with him in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Show us your glory This is not, when I say see your glory, this is not like a road sign flyby. Like, hey, did you see that sign for Chick-fil-A way back there? (sighs) Hey, did you see the movie? No, this word see is beautiful that Jesus is using in the original language. It means to observe with sustained attention, to fix my eyes, to continue to gaze, to not remove, to not be distracted. On the glory of God. And you might be like, what's the glory of God? Now, the glory of God is is a priority to Jesus. In this text, in this prayer, he uses a form of it eight times. Glory is this. It's a manifest display of God's divine goodness. His majesty is his splendor. It's who God is. It's his revealed character. God's glory is God on display for the world to see. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his heart. Uh, I... A way that it's been described to me, then previously it's not original to me, but it's been helpful to me is this, is that God, glory is to God. It's the essence of who God is. Glory is to God, as heat is to fire, as wet is to water. Glory is to God. Jesus, what we know about Jesus is he gives us a glimpse of God's glory while he's here on earth. Colossians 1, if you want to get your heart ready to understand who Jesus is, read Colossians 1, 15 through 23. It's the most beautiful Christological passage in all of Scripture, in my opinion. It describes who Jesus is in an amazing way. My prayer today in our heart is for you to have a higher view of who God is and Jesus is. But in 1.15, it talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God in Colossians, And Paul here in in 2 Corinthians 3.18 spells it out a little bit like this, and he says, he talks about God's glory, and we all, talking about us, with unveiled face, and that's a big deal, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit of God gives us the power to experience the glory of God more and more here on earth. And it's a preparation for eternity where we will view God's glory in all of its splendor. Isn't that awesome? And the unveiled face part is a big deal because that's in contrast to Moses, who in the Old Testament had to view the glory of God with a veil on his face because God's like, if you see all of me, you're dead. You can't handle it. And Jesus here in this prayer is saying, I want you to handle it with me forever and eternity. now, even as we come to know the Lord, God has removed that veil. What happens on Friday, right? What happens on Friday of Holy Week when Jesus dies is the curtain is torn in two and the Holy of holies place, we now have direct access to God. We no longer need an intermediary. We no longer need someone to stand in the gap, the high priest for us because Jesus is the ultimate high priest and when he made the perfect sacrifice which is a, goes back to the Old Testament, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrificial systems is in Jesus. We now have direct direct access to God. That's awesome. And we can go from hostile to holy, and we can be in the presence of God through the righteousness of Jesus. And we can begin to behold the glory of the Lord. So what we see about Jesus, the glory that we experience on this earth is just a little foretaste. And Jesus all throughout John 17 right here is saying, I have manifested the name of God. I have revealed the glory of God a little bit. Now I, wanna, I want you to grasp this concept it's a little bit when it comes to God's glory. It's like taste now, feast later. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist writes, and feast later in eternity. It's a little like this. I don't know about you. Here's a weird fact about me. I, before the pandemic, and we can all have our pre pandemic stories, like one of my favorite pastimes, and this is serious, was to go into Sam's or Costco. And you know what I like to do? I like to eat the samples. <laughs> I never bought the stuff, but I walked in, I walked hungry, and I'm like, I'll take a little sample of cheesecake, I'll get some cheeseburger, and it was good. <laughs> I had a little taste. You know why they give you the sample? They want you to buy the thing. I'm like, this taste is good enough for me. Hmm. When it comes to God's glory, I pray that the taste is not good enough for you. I pray that it's pleasing to you, but it just whets your appetite for what is to come. Because how many of us have sat in church or had this experience with God and just a little bit of taste, but we've stopped and we go, that's good enough for me. I don't need to give my life. I just get a warm, fuzzy feeling every once in a while and every once a month or every two times a year when I come to church and I'm good to go. No, you're not. Don't stop with the taste. Sit down at the feast. Feast on God's glory, his mercy, his love, and allow his love to transform you. And if you want an understanding of what this looks like, read all of 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 this week. Like, read it all. Don't lose heart. We will experience affliction in this world, but affliction in this world is preparation for eternity's glory consumption. That's what Paul writes in Second Corinthians 4. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. You are persecuted, but you're not destroyed. Like, we want the product, but we don't want the process. I want, the, I want to be refined by God. I got I want to be more like you, but I don't want the pain. You can't have the product without the process. You can't have the transformation without the trial. Don't run from the trial. Allow God to sustain you in the trial and experience the transformation because you will glimpse the glory of God in a deeper way in the trial and in the crisis and in the storm. And God will grace you with the strength to endure it and persevere through it. And he will grace you by the reality that he will make you more like him in it and praise God for it. Fix your eyes on his glory and whatever you're walking through right now. I don't know what you're walking through, but fix your eyes on the glory of God. The cry of our heart is for you to have a greater vision of God, to focus your eyes on the glory of God. When was the last time, friends, you were mesmerized by Jesus? Like, seriously. When was the last time that you were just in awe of who he is? Because, man, when you stop to think about it, it's awe-inspiring. It's awesome. I overuse the awesome word. There's only one person who's awesome. Jesus. He is awe-inspiring. But when you let your heart, you actually slow down to actually fix your gaze on Jesus, on God, and allowed your heart to go there, or you just do this fly-by. I don't got enough time. Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll fit you in if I can. We're fools. Sit down and feast. Taste and see that he's good. 2 Corinthians 4 teaches us this. Paul, again, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, a beautiful passage when it comes to this. He, Paul writes, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to live the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Yes, we will see the full glory of God when we get to heaven. Yes, how do we experience the glory of God here on earth? Well, Psalm 19 teaches us that the heavens reveal the glory of God. We can look in creation and see the glory, but the, the glory of God appears in the highest density within the gospel of God. We see the greatest glimpse of God's glory when we fix our eyes on the gospel each day, all day, every day. When we see the mercy, the love, the sacrifice, the righteousness, the holiness of God, all the characteristics of God. So you want to experience the glory of God, focus on the gospel Preach the gospel to yourself. Let it flood into your heart. Let it captivate your heart. Let it compel your heart. Let it lead you to worship like you've never worshipped before. Let it lead you to have a heart of thanksgiving like you've never been thankful before. Let it lead you to be awe-inspired. Let your heart go there. Take the governor off, the gospel governor off, and just begin to worship God, and you will find yourself responding with more passion, with more awe, because it is, there's no way to not do that when you allow God's glory to invade your heart. Fix your eyes on the glory of God, friends. When was the last time you chose to see Jesus for who he really is? When was the last time Jesus went from interesting to stunning, intriguing to mouth-stopping, inspiring to everything, from just a great man to God himself? When was the last time you viewed Jesus that way? What is stopping you from choosing to see Jesus that way today? And you might not believe, and that's okay. I pray that God would move you in your heart to have a step closer to God or maybe today's the day that you choose to believe and go, I don't have it all figured out, but I wanna believe. I wanna see you. I wanna know you. Friends, we lose our all of God when we, start, when we don't take the time to gaze upon God. For many of us, if we're honest, everything eats away at the time we used to spend at Jesus' feet. You don't believe me? Read Luke 10, 38 through 42 this week. The story of Mary and Martha. Mar- Martha's busy serving God and, God and Jesus and Jesus is like, sit down at my feet. She's like, I got stuff to do. Tell Mary to get off her rear end and get to work. And Jesus is like, no, Mary is the right thing. Sit at my feet. There's one thing that is necessary. Sit at my feet. Friends, as you prepare to celebrate Easter, sit at the feet of Jesus this week. If you have to choose between sitting at the feet of Jesus and working for Jesus, sit at the feet of Jesus this week. God cares way more about who you are in him than what you're doing for him. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Experience his love and his grace. Don't allow the tyranny of the urgent of this world to drive the distance between you and your savior of the world. What are you allowing you to distract you or to stop you from gazing at the glory of God this week? A work meeting? Your smartphone? Bing, bing, bing. Kids activity schedule. I gotta go to kids to soccer practice, to softball, to band, bye-bye. I don't got time for Jesus. If you really say that, and if we're really honest, we could probably say that, where's the issue? Hobbies, Netflix, I don't got time for Jesus, but I got time to binge watch whatever your favorite series is. What are you allowing to take the gaze away from Jesus? If If Satan can't stop you from seeing the light of Christ, he will distract you from putting your eyes on Christ. Or maybe your other problem is maybe you're seeking the glory of the world as opposed to the glory of the Savior. What are some glory substitutes in your life as opposed to the Savior of the world? A bank account, a job promotion, a GPA, a hobby. God is asking if you see him today, are you giving him your attention? When you see him, you'll find that he's all you need and all you want. I promise you that, I promise you that. Because God's word teaches me that and I've lived that in my life. But can I tell you honestly, far too often I have succumbed to the reality of getting caught up in the business of the world and frankly, the business of church work. God wants a personal to really see his glory this week. Get your gospel lens on where do you need to get some of your eyes corrected as you get when you have a vision test. Here's a vision test for all of us this week. Because hope is not in the absence of hostility or adversity in this world. We see our, previously in this text, in this prayer that we will face adversity, we will face hostility. Hope comes as we set our eyes, eyes on God's glory. So here's a vision test, question for you. Where are your eyes focused right now? Seriously, where are your eyes focused? God's word or the world? What are you staring at? Where's your mind focused? Yes, it's a battlefield. It's a battle, but where's it focused? Are you recentering your mind? Are Romans 12 to renew, renew, renew over and over and over again? Or not? You're like, I'm in the God's word. Oh, cell phone ring. Squirrel! We all get there. But we'll take the next step. Grow in attention. Go from five minutes to six minutes. Take your, oh, I love somebody in the church was, was showing me with his phone recently, I love it. He's like, I set my phone up so that I will not have, get distracted. I won't get a text message during this time, emails during this time, my apps are showing up differently during this time because I want to be focused on my spouse. I want to be focused on God during this time. You can do it if you want to and if you're willing to. Where's your heart focused? Real talk, no games. Where's your heart right now? What is the desire of your heart? It's okay if it's not Jesus right now. I pray that he will convict you and show you his beauty, but let's be real. We can't have change until, we get to, until we're honest with ourselves. What is your heart focused on right now? And how's that working out for you right now? Because that drives your actions, your thought process. And can I tell you this? The psalmist pray, promises and, and says in Psalm 37, three and four, that as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But we have to delight ourselves in the Lord. We've got to choose to see the glory of God. And as you commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, he will act. Expand your hope today by elevating your gaze today. And can I tell you that this is applicable as much as it is when you're walking through adversity, it's triumph. Some of you are like, I want, I want to worship when God's great. He provided for my need, praise him. But when you're down in the dumps, when your life just got twist turned upside down, are you still willing to focus on the glory of God? Cuz that's sometimes where God does his greatest work. Can I tell you in 2009 Ann and I were in the dumps. We had a experienced a, a miscarriage that was very very difficult for us. And it wasn't just the loss of the child who we named BJ baby with Jesus. It was it was the subsequent 6 to 7 months of physical difficulty that Ann went through, the multiple visits to the hospital, the daily and procedures, the daily reminders of of the pain, and I didn't handle it well. We grieved differently. We struggled in our marriage. We went to counseling, caused adversity. But in the moment, God met us there, and he continues to meet us. And I want to, I there's a book that God used in my life, and I want to encourage it to you guys. It's, it's a book called Choosing to See by Mary Beth Chapman. If you're struggling, I want to encourage you to read this. It's a memoir. It's filled with, it's a struggle. for It's, a, it's about choosing to see. It, it talks about choosing to see the glory of God, fighting for hope in the middle of the struggle. God's glory is with you in adversity and hostility. Their family, the Chapmans, she's the wife of Stephen Curtis Chapman, who's a Christian music artist and Um, they went through an incredible tragedy that's almost indescribable and this talks about the journey and how God met them there and the struggle. And it's okay to struggle. You can hope and you can struggle at the same time. It's okay to not be okay. And if you're not okay, okay. We're with you and God is with you. We will walk together. But focus your eyes on the glory of God. I'm not saying it's easy. But I pray that All of our prayers would move move to God, show me your glory in this situation. God, help me to fix my eyes in your glory and that you would move in a mighty way. Because God's love for me gives me hope for all eternity, even in the midst of adversity and difficulty. We have to make a third daily choice today, and that's this, choosing to live. Choosing to live transformed by God's unconditional love. Daily, this prayer continues. Jesus says in twenty-five and twenty-six, "O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and the, those these that know you have sent me. I may have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love that which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them." What's really profound and what's really interesting here is when you look at twenty-six. It says, Jesus says, I will continue to make it known, make the name of God known, make the character of God, reveal the glory of God. And he continues to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. But when you look at the Greek, when you look at the original language, when you look at the, how it's structured, this is not God, uh, Jesus saying that we are just recipients and objects of God's love. That's awesome, isn't it? But how it's originally structured is that it means that we are continually daily transformed by God's love. That how I was yesterday, I'm a little bit different today because of how God loves me. I'm going to choose to respond to my situations differently. I'm going to react differently. I'm going to speak to my spouse differently. I'm going to be quicker to forgive. I'm going to show more grace. I'm going to reflect more of Jesus in my daily life. Is that true of you? But it's a daily choice. It's a profound hope-giving reality that is a choice. And in this text, we see five of them. Here are some hope-giving realities that we can have today. The first is this, is that God's righteousness required that Jesus die for me. How is that hope-giving? Because God doesn't lower his standards I have hope that his character is uncompromising. He will never change. He can't change. His holiness, he cannot not be holy. He cannot not be righteous. My hope is not in that God would lower his standard. My hope is that God sent his son to be our savior. Praise God that he doesn't lower his standard. God's righteousness, and we see that in 25. Oh, righteous Father, Jesus prays. It's who, Jesus, it's who God is. Righteousness is right standing before God. And how we have hope? If you want to have hope today, if you want to actually be fulfilled, if you want to have a great life, go to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, where it says, as we hunger and thirst after righteousness, then and only then will we be fulfilled. Are you hungering after God's righteousness today? The second hope-giving reality is that God's love for me sent his own son to die for me. Right In verse 25, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Verse 25, so that's the reality, that we couldn't elevate to where God is. We couldn't get to that bar on our own. God knew that, and God loved us. He sent Jesus to, to fill in the gap, to pay our price. He sent his own son. He spared, the, he spared no expense. He paid whatever price. Again, whatever you desire, you will pay for. You will sacrifice for. You will do what it takes, and God desires you to be with him forever in eternity. Scripture teaches us that. He wants you to come to repentance, Scripture teaches us that, so much so that he sacrificed and skin in the game, literally Jesus. The third hope-giving reality from this text is that God, Jesus is continual, continually reveals God's amazing character and unconditional love for me. Verse 26, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. I pray that we would continue to grow to be more like God each and every day and learning more and more about him. And he will make us more and more like himself. The fourth hope-giving reality is this is that God's love doesn't just provide salvation for me but it continually transforms me. Again, we see that in the maybe in them that God's love is continually transforming us. That God as he continually reveals his character is continually making us more and more like him. That's awesome. And fifth and finally, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to me and is always with me. Jesus concludes his prayer, and I in them. Jesus is promising you and I his presence, which is the fulfillment of many Old Testament promises, where God says, I will be with my people. I will dwell in the midst of you. I will be with you always. And Jesus is with you and I always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that awesome? That gives us hope, that gives us strength. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Our hope, and I would need you to hear this, our hope today is anchored in the reality that you and I, I don't know how the world views you, I don't know how you view you, but here's the hope-giving reality. You and I are worthy of being loved. You are worthy of being loved because God loves you and you are wanted. God wants to spend eternity forever with you. And so does Jesus. You are worthy of love and you're wanted by love. And how do we live? We live abundant life. Jesus says this in John ten ten. the thief comes only to see, steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to abundantly. The only way to have abundant life is through Jesus Christ. Believe that, trust it, put your faith in it, demonstrate it. But can I tell you this? It, hope, is not, hope does not allow our, our greatest setbacks in life to define us, but it allows God's grace to cover us to fill us, to save us, and to strengthen us. How do I know that? You know who's in this upper room right now? Peter. You know what Peter's about to do? He confesses his undying love to God and I would never betray you. You know what he's about to do though? He's about to betray Jesus. He's about to go off and, and fall asleep when he should have been praying. He's about to then literally take a sword out and cut off the ear of a servant and then he's about to go off and deny Jesus not once, not twice, but three times when Jesus said you would and Peter's like, no, I wouldn't. So I don't know what is happening in your life where you say, God, I would never do that and maybe you did it last night. Peter was willing to kill for Jesus, but he was unwilling to die for Jesus in that moment. Are you willing to kill for your version of religion, your past, your history, your whatever you think is most important, but unwilling to die to what God wants you to truly do? But that didn't define Peter. God ultimately restored him to the point where Jesus uses him to build his church. And Peter writes a letter called First Peter. I want you to hear the heart of Peter. He writes it to a church that is enduring the same persecution that Peter is about to walk through. And here's the heart of Peter, here's the heart of God to a church in crisis, to a church with hostility and hurt. And it's the same letter for you and I today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is 1 Peter 1 3 through 9. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Our hope isn't dead, it's alive. Jesus is alive. Through his resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope. Through his resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. That's awesome, right? undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So we're not rejoicing at the presence of the trial, we're rejoicing at the product of the trial, that God is at work, that he is with us, that he's refining us, that we can look up and look to his heaven And know that the glory is coming so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by a fire. Fire is hot, fire is hurt, but God is still working, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with hope and glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that awesome? So friends, today, Will you choose to believe? Will you choose to see? And will you choose to live? Got hope? Do you got Jesus? Because Jesus is the only source of true hope. If you have any questions about who Jesus is, if you're walking through pain, you don't have to be alone. If you want to come back to the Lord, if you want to give your life to the Lord, if you just want somebody to pray with you, if you want to go, I don't know, I, I, don't have, I don't know about any of this stuff. Okay, come as you are. God will meet you where you are. He loves you. We'd we'll love to pray with you after the service. Don't walk out of this room before you allow God to do the work in you that he wants. You can have hope. Hope is here. His name is Jesus. You got to choose him. He chose you. Will you choose him? Let's go to the Word in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the beauty and the reality of the story of Easter. I thank you for the beauty and the reality of the sacrifice you gave for. I thank you for the beauty and the reality that you want us to be with you. That you want, don't just want us to be with you, you want us to see you. See your glory, see your splendor, see how much greater you are than anything in this world, God. And God, in this moment, I just pray that we would, that you would stir in our hearts, that the objections or how we've been tuning out you in our past, or even, even last night, or even walking in here. For whatever reason, we're here for a purpose, and that's because you wanna meet us where we are, God. Each and every one of us. And maybe we've been hostile to you, and this is the moment that you're calling us back and calling us to surrender. And God, I pray that maybe we've walked in here hurting, and God, in the heartache, I pray that you would fill us with your hope. We've been focused on the trial, and in the moment right now, fill us with your testimony of your grace and your goodness. Fix our eyes off our circumstances and onto Christ. Show us your glory, God. In the the lowest of lows, show us your glory. May that be the cry of our hearts. Glorify yourself. That is a prayer you always answer, God. And in the highest of highs, glorify yourself. Protect us from our pride. And God, help us to choose to live abundantly as we choose to live for you faithfully. God, we love you so much. In your name we pray, amen.